little Miss Jenna. So anyway, invite you to come out to that. And let me just say a word of thank you to you and appreciation. Thank you for just being such a wonderful, wonderful uh, group of folks, church family to spend so, uh, you know, a significant amount of time with. I got a, a message from Pastor Joey this morning. Just uh, very kind words, and, and I sent him back a, a message, and I said, listen, I am just, I could not be more excited about the future of Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, and I told him, I want to tell you, it's been my honor for me to serve in such a capacity to one of our uh, Southern Baptist churches here in Virginia, and thank you for your continued partnership in the gospel. Thank you for uh, the reports I got in the past week of how you have so faithfully been praying and giving towards uh, the Vision Virginia, a week of prayer and state missions offering, so thank you for that. And, uh, and I want you to know, you know, I uh, obviously won't see each other as regularly as we have probably, but um, you will not be far from my, my thoughts, my prayers, and, uh, and I won't be super far away. And count your new pastor, a very dear friend of mine, and have so enjoyed getting to know the rest of your pastoral staff. And so many of you that are on the staff or your leaders or, your, or you're just part of the congregation, you're involved in lay leadership. So if I can ever do anything for you, please let me know. And I look forward to being able to pop in from time to time and rejoin you again real soon. Well, look forward today to want to share with you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, I hope you do, find 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. And today's sermon is entitled, really I get the title from what some Bible, how some uh, Bible commentators uh, title this section of Scripture, and it's called Final Instructions for the Family. Final Instructions for the Family. And really, you know, the book of 1 Thessalonians, you can tell the Apostle Paul had such affection for the uh, Christians in Thessalonica. He writes in very tender terms to these folks. And so I've preached through before 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And so this week, I was trying to consider, you know, Lord, what, what, what would be some kind of final words of instruction you would have me share with the dear church family at, at Mount Pleasant? And I was directed to this passage and began to work on this message this week. And really, the whole gist of it is really about our relationship with, for instance, our pastor, our relationship with one another, and then our relationship with the Lord. That's kind of the whole gist of it. And you know, we have, I believe, this, this innate need and desire for connection. I'll give you an illustration. Let me just ask, and I'm curious about this actually, how many of you are actually on Facebook? How many of you are on Facebook? Okay, now just hold your hand. Don't, don't be bashful or too ashamed. Um, just put your hand up for just a minute. Okay, now, now how many of you now have, have, have at least heard of Facebook, all right? That's pretty much all of us, and, and probably I dare say about half of you are on Facebook. And, you know, for instance, my, my father has, has gotten into being on Facebook. And, and I tell you, for him as a grandfather, that's one way he actually, you know, he'll kind of keep up with, uh, with my oldest daughter, all right? And she's 16, and so she has, she's on Facebook, and she'll kind of post her whereabouts and what activities she's involved in and different pictures. And, and he enjoys being able to kind of like this and like that. Well, I did a little research. Listen to this. As of my last count, according to the research I've come up with, and, that, and I've researched this, I, I pinged this as late as last night, there are approximately one and a half billion, let me say this again, one and a half billion with a B, billion with a B, folks that utilize Facebook. Now think about that. 
It wasn't that long ago that Facebook, I mean, we wouldn't have even known what that was. Amen. I mean, we had never even heard of it. It hadn't even been invented. And think about this now. Now there, there are one and a half billion people using Facebook. If Facebook were a country, it would, it would be one of the largest countries in the world. Many people actually will check their Facebook page right before they go to bed and they will check it first thing in the morning when they get up. It's how they stay, quote, connected. And what it's done is it's kind of worked its way into the fabric of our society and culture, even uh, the politicians that are now vying for attention as we're really already evidently kind of in this presidential season. They're, they're utilizing Facebook and Twitter and different social media media accounts. And the bottom line is this, is what you have here is some attempt to, to, to basically take technology and also the desire to have some sense of connection and they're putting the two together. Technology and this human desire for connection and putting, putting it together. And there you have Facebook. And the reality is this, is in our lives, we need connection. And what I want you to understand today is that the church is connection. Paul writes to churches. He writes about churches. And, you know, Paul, Paul reminded, for instance, the Corinthians that the church itself is an absolute miracle of God, of how, of, of how the church has been put together. And, uh, and really, Jesus guarantees uh, his church success. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16. I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, one of the keys to us being able to be effective in reaching the world for Christ and reaching our community is our ability to have healthy relationships here on the inside, here in the church family. So you see, church is connection. It's connection to the Lord and it's connection to one another. So church is really all about relationships. It's about our relationship with one another. It's about our relationship with our pastors and it's about our relationship with the Lord. Church is not simply just an institution. Church is not really a building. Notice earlier I was talking about your location for the trunk or treat night. Well, that's just where this facility is. That's just where this church happens to own a parking lot. But the church is more than brick and mortar, amen? The church is more than pavement. The church is about connection. It's, it's relationship. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, the Apostle Paul speaks to the importance of our interpersonal relationships and also our spiritual relationship with the Lord. The way it's been described by some is that there's a horizontal relationship, and that's our relationship with one another, and there's a vertical relationship, and that's our relationship to the Lord. And so understand, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God, and then love your neighbor as yourself, you have a picture there of healthy Relationship. So I want to ask you to stand with me now and honor God's word. And, and let's read this portion of scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. Follow along on your copy of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. And we urge you, brethren or brothers, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. 
and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss, and I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Father, I pray today that you will help us to understand your will for us and our relationships with one another and our relationship with you. Lord, today I pray that as a church, you'll help us to take note of some of these essentials, Lord, that can really serve as tremendous instruction to us on how to be a healthy church family. Lord, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart to be pleasing in your sight. Lord, you are my rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and be seated. You know, just the other week, I think I may have been here to mention this, uh, my father, my brother and I, we went to New York City. I think I've got a couple pictures I wanted to put on the screen for you there. And there we are, we're down at World Trade Center, and, uh, and, and we, we just had a marvelous time. We took the Amtrak up to, up to Manhattan. If you've never been to New York City, I, that's a great way to go. And the train's relatively relaxed atmosphere. We just took the, tr- enjoyed the train ride up, visited with each other on the train. And, and uh, it takes us right into Manhattan. We got out, walked to our hotel. And the first thing we did is after we dropped our bags off, uh, man, we walked from 35th Street uh, and we walked all the way downtown uh, to, to, to downtown Manhattan. We could see the Statue of Liberty off the coast. And there we are uh, near the site of the World Trade Center. And then later that night, here's the next picture. It's nighttime. There we are. And we're in Times Square. And I was so excited about taking uh, my dad and my brother to Times Square because if you've never been to Times Square, you've probably seen it on television. Maybe you watched the New Year's Eve show and the ball drop and all that. Times Square is is one of the craziest places on the face of the earth. It's like a freak show. I, I have no other way to say it. I mean, I mean that in all love and kindness. I mean, it's just, it just is. I mean, it's, and, and it's on purpose. I'm not picking on anybody. It's just, these, I mean, folks are down there. They dress in costumes and all this. And what they're after is they want you to take your picture with them. And then they want a little compensation for the pictures what they're after all right and so there's people down there wearing spider-man costumes i mean uh all kinds of different uh, superman batman you'll see all kinds of folks down there and so we're down here that's that's uh that's down there at night and that's my dad obviously on the left there's my brother on the right and and my dad my dad made an interesting comment to me a few days after the trip and and, and it dawned on me that this was the most time concentrated time i had spent with my brother since I had left over 25 years ago to go to college. 
you know, we see each other at different holidays and uh, spend a little time here and there. But to spend three days together just with my brother, without our wives around, without our, uh, our, our children there, we hadn't done this since I left home. My dad said something. Here's what he said. He said a few days after, he said, he said, I was telling your mom that even though you guys are so different in so many ways, he said, I could, he said, to watch you two interact in the way you would talk with each other and the way you would relate to each other, it was unmistakable that you're brothers. And you know what? I think, I'm sure to him as a father, that was a blessing. For him just to be able to watch his two sons, to watch these two brothers interact together, even though now we're grown men with our own families, our own mortgages, our own jobs, all of our own adult stuff, to watch us actually there together as brothers. And I share that with you because really in Scripture, one of my favorite words when it comes to the church is the word family. It's the word family. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul must have loved the idea of considering the church to be family. And and I'll kind of try to prove it to you. You see right here in verse 12, he says, we urge you brethren. Do you see the word brethren? In in your translation, it might be the word brothers. And, And it's interesting, at least 60 times in Paul's letters to the churches, he would use the word brethren or brothers to address them 27 times almost half the times he would almost half the time he would use the word brethren or brothers is actually found in the two letters uh, to the Thessalonians and so you can see here that he had this idea Paul has this sanctified idea that as a church we're to be a family as followers of Christ we're brethren all right and you know, it's so interesting. I can think back to my brother and me growing up. My brother's five years younger than me. And, um, and as you can tell now, he's a, he's a, he's a good-sized guy now. But man, when we were, of course, growing up, we went through the phase where, you know, as the older brother, man, I have so much to repent of. Uh, there, are so, there are so many. And if you're a younger brother here, I just want to say on behalf of, 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 of older brothers, we're sorry, all right? We're sorry. And it was amazing some of the stuff that we would do to each other. Some of it would embarrass me to even tell you. I mean, there's times I would hold him down. And, and I would get just a little bit of drool hanging out of my mouth. And I would dangle it over his face. And he's sitting there screaming and squirming, isn't that? And I'm going, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, you know. And, and now, and now I'm just thankful that we're not that juvenile anymore. Because you could tell by the picture, he could hold me down all day long and do who knows what to me. So I'm just, you know, like I said, you know, it's amazing the stuff that brothers do. And there was times, man, we could get in into it man we could get into it I mean in a serious way and not down drag out episodes but there was one thing man you did not mess with my brother and you know what you didn't mess with me because 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 that little even when he was a little guy man if someone wanted to tangle with his big brother he was ready he was ready to stand with me and ready to defend me to the end and you know, it's a beautiful picture of the idea in Scripture that we're, that we're brethren. You know, we're, we're family. And, and it's a marvelous picture that of all the things we use to, decri- to describe ourselves as a church. And for some of us, when we use the word family, that kind of causes us some pain, maybe causes some confusion. Because we have had 
you know, maybe a, a bad experience when it comes to family. Well, understand here, when Paul uses the word brethren or brothers, he was actually speaking to people who many of them had experienced and were experiencing tremendous persecution for claiming Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so what had happened to many of them is their own parents and their own brothers and sisters had disowned them. They had no one. They had no one to spend the holidays with anymore. They, they might have even lost their job. Their whole sense of identity had been stripped from them because they had claimed allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and you're wondering where you fit in a relationship. I want you to understand something today that when the Lord, through Scripture, for instance, through the Apostle Paul, when he calls us brethren, the Lord is saying this. God is saying, listen, I'm your father. And you've been bought with the blood of Christ. You are blood kin now. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter which side of the railroad tracks you were raised on. It doesn't matter your income level. Listen, listen. When God Almighty looks at you and me, brothers and sisters, he sees the very blood of Jesus and he sees us wearing the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? So when our Father sees us, his comment throughout the heavens is, you know what? They look an awful lot like brethren. They look like brothers and sisters. And that's what I want us to remember today is that, listen, listen, we have been, as, as, as Peter wrote in 1 Peter, we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed through the living and abundant word of God. We're to have a sincere brotherly love for one another. We're to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. God has worked a miracle in our lives. He's taken us, though we were lost in our sin, and he's redeemed us, and he's united us in this that he calls the church. We're family. We are brethren. So let me give you three essentials for the family today. First is what I call family leadership. Family leadership, verse 12 says, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Here, I want to say a word about family leadership, all right? Now, when you read this here, remember this, that, that the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, you know, you know folks, they, they needed leaders, they, they were experiencing persecution. There was even confusion. This was a young church. They needed guidance. Paul wasn't always going to be there. So he asked them to follow their fellow leaders. Titus chapter 1 verse 5 leads us to believe that pastors and elders had been appointed to serve the church there in Thessalonica. And so Paul gives them a loving word of encouragement. And he says, listen, listen, you need to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and, and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. He says, listen, this church family has leadership. You need to follow your family's leadership. You know, let me just give you some thoughts on, 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 on a pastor here, all right? Because new pastor starting next week. Pastor Joy, I know you've been praying for him. You've been praying for him since before you even knew his name. 
And now you know his name. You know his family's names. And so listen, let me just give you a few descriptions about a pastor. What you see here is a pastor works. Just want you to remember that a pastor works. The work here is labor. The Greek word translated labor, it means to exert energy to the point of weariness and fatigue. And all pastors, we've all heard the jokes, you know. Oh, I guess, what's it like just to work on Sunday? Ha, 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 ha. What's it like to work? Oh, you're working over. You're having to work Wednesday night too. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, yeah, let me just tell you, we think it's real funny. I used to, I remember every big folks and, 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 and even friends of mine, you know, maybe I'd even be at church on that Sunday morning and there would be someone else doing the preaching and, and folks would come up and say, hey, well, what was it, what's it like to have had all week off? I guess you're not having to do anything today, are you? Just kind of, and I, you know, listen, so you, you all know, you know that a faithful pastor works and you know the ministry of a pastor and you, and, and so I want to encourage you, pray for your pastor. Of course, pastors, you know, preaching's a big part of it, but of course there's a lot more to the pastorate than preaching and and pastors in a church of this size they even have different roles and responsibilities there's administration we we have ministries to different age groups we have we have different creative ministries like music and worship and there's so much to the work of ministry and so pray for your pastors because understand this listen it implies here the word labor It implies that a pastor isn't afraid of sweat and hard work, that he's not in it for the paychecks or the perks. It's not a nine-to-five job. And so many of you have been so sweet and so gracious towards me in my service to this church. I'm confident of how you will continue to show affection to your pastors. And just remember this, it's a calling. That's what you've been praying for, and that's what you even recognize in, 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 in the new pastor <clears throat> coming to serve among you. I think you recognize the calling on his life, his life, his passion. Charles Spurgeon gave a warning to a group of potential pastors. Spurgeon pastored, he was really probably one of the first, <clears throat> excuse me, first megachurch pastors in modern, more modern history. He, he lived back in the 1800s, but pastored what grew into a, just a huge church, thousands attending this uh, church in London. You can find his sermons online now. Spurgeon is one of the most quoted old preachers of any. Listen to what he said in one of his writings to young pastors. He said, if any student in this room could be content to be a newspaper editor or a grocer, or a farmer, or a doctor, or a lawyer, or a senator, or a king. In the name of heaven and earth, let him go his way. He is not the man in whom dwells the Spirit of God in its fullness. For a man so filled with God would utterly weary of any pursuit, but that for which is his inmost soul pants. If, on the other hand, you can say that for all the wealth of both the Indies, you cannot and dare not espouse any other calling so as to be put aside from the preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ then depend upon it if other things be equally satisfactory you have the signs of this apostleship we must feel that woe is unto us if we preach not the gospel the word of God must be unto us as a fire in our bones otherwise if we undertake the ministry we shall not be unhappy in it 
shall be unable to bear the self-denials incident to it and shall be of little service to those among whom we minister. He gives a warning to young men who perhaps are seeking a role in the pastor to say, listen, you had better be sure that God has called you to this calling. If, If you're not sure, then you go do something else. So you pray for your pastors. Pray that the calling of God would burn hot in their lives. Paul wasn't afraid of working hard. In fact, over in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day so that we, not, so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. He uses words like labor and hardship and work. So a pastor works. Secondly, a pastor leads. Now the word you know, here, the phrase here that we, that we find this from is it says, those who labor among you, and then look at the last part of verse 12, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And it's the idea of presiding or leading or directing or actually to protect and to provide. And Paul uses the same word in the Greek language four times to Timothy in those letters. And three of the four times, he's speaking to Timothy about leading his own family. And the fourth time, he uses it to talk to Timothy about leading the church. And so it reminds us right there that just as you're leading your family, pastor, you are to lead the family of God. It's a great picture there of leadership. And I want to give you a word. It's the word shepherd. I was reading Chuck Swindoll this week. And Chuck Swindoll, Pastor Swindoll made this statement. He said, if you don't have a shepherd's heart, you dare not be a pastor. You'd be something else. You'd be a professor. You'd be a teacher. You'd just be something else. If you don't have a shepherd's heart, you dare not be a pastor. Loved ones, in 1 Peter 5, we get a picture. I almost preached that, 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 that passage this Sunday. In that, you get a picture of the shepherd's heart. I think back. One of my favorite professors in seminary in my master's program did not have a PhD. In fact, now they don't even let him teach because uh, the accreditation authority said, oh, he doesn't have a PhD, he, he, he can't teach. My favorite professor And he had been a pastor for decades. And he would stand before us, and I've never forgotten this. Every time he talked about being a pastor, he always talked about the pastor being an under-shepherd. An under-shepherd. I've never forgotten that. He says, you're an under-shepherd. You're an under-shepherd. You're really not a CEO. You're an under-shepherd. And remember who the shepherd is. The shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. You're an under-shepherd. And I'm so thankful that, you know, when I'm around Pastor Joey, the times we've hung out, I just want to tell y'all, either he's got me fooled or I really, I really see a shepherd's heart there. And understand this, when a pastor leads as a shepherd, it's not just all ushy-gushy. It's, 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 remember leading, it's protecting. It's providing. All right? That's part of what a pastor's calling is. Because see, the word also is used admonish. Admonish you, verse 12 says. See, a pastor works, a pastor leads, but a pastor warns. You know, 60 times in the New Testament, the word preach and proclaim are used. And it's the picture of a herald, 
of a herald, of this person who in, who in ancient days would come and would stand and would shout out the, the message from the palace, the message of the king. So understand this, part of the pastor's job and high calling is to stand before you publicly in a large crowd like this or perhaps personally sitting in his study talking with you. He, his, his role is partly to admonish us and to warn us to be obedient to the great things of God. It's to put in mind, it's to warn. It may mean confronting a sinful habit. It may be warning against bad behavior. It may be calling us to repentance. Remember, when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 about preaching the word, it involves more than just encouraging and instructing. Remember, it also says correcting. It says rebuking. So understand the role of a pastor. So remember that you have family leadership. You know, listen, folks, part of life is needing leadership. I flew on an airplane this week. You know what? I'm glad there was somebody in command and in, and in charge. I'm glad there was a captain. I'm glad they just weren't the whole time up there, you know, five or six of them going, what do you think we should? Do you think we should put the flaps down now? What, what do you think? What do you think we should do? I mean, think, think about football teams. How, how many of you would put up with the fact if there isn't clear leadership on a football team? And you'll say, yeah, well, this, this is a church. I, I, I understand that. I, I get that. So, so understand this. Listen, listen. It is important to pray for your pastors. It's important for pastors, and I'm going to get to this just saying, it's important for pastors to understand, listen, listen, we're, we're not called to be little dictators. Listen, the word is shepherd. It's shepherd. So understand the relationship. Without leadership, marriages suffer, sports teams lose, corporations flounder, and yes, churches will fail. So leadership makes life better. So, so listen, understand family leadership. The church family needs leadership, and we're blessed when we have pastors who shepherd. Number two, I want you to get this, family partnership. Not just leadership, but there's a partnership. And that partnership is people to pastor and also people to people. Look at what he says here. He says, he tells us here that we are in verse 13, that we are to esteem them, our pastors, very highly in love for their work's sake. So, so, so let me give you just two practical applications here of how people can respond to their pastor. Number one, write this down. Honor your leadership for their labor. Honor their labor. Honor their labor. Warren Wiersbe writes, the battles and burdens are many and sometimes the encouragements are few. It's dangerous when a church family takes their leaders for granted and fails to pray for them, work with them, and encourage them. Pray for all of your church leadership, but today I particularly want to ask you to be praying for your pastors and pray for your new incoming pastor because they're going through a lot of adjustment as you can well imagine. So honor their labor, but number two, this, is, this sounds very simple, honor with your love. Honor their labor, but honor with your love. He says esteem them highly, very highly, and he uses the word love, in love, in love. I was, I was saying, you know, that you all have shown me a lot of affection and love. And I'm confident that you will be willing to show that. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know what, I'll, 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 I'll get there. You know, the word on the street amongst pastors is it takes us five years to really become a church's pastor. I don't know if you've ever been told that. We say that in, in seminaries. You just need to know that. 
Some of you, some, some of us, we won't be here in five years. We won't. The Lord will take us home. You don't have five years to waste, church. You don't. I, I'm, I'm asking you to break that standard. I'm asking you as quickly as you can, not naively, not naively, but I'm asking you, love your pastor. Love your pastor. And then what about people to people? I'm gonna just highlight these because this is all right here. This is not really my thinking. I'm just gonna highlight the scriptures for you. Now that's people to pastor, but what about people to people? Because that's going to be the big burden on most pastors is how you treat not them, but, but how you treat each other. Because 90% of the time, that's what a pastor's trying to contend with. As an under-shepherd, you're dealing with the flock, right? So I want you just to take note of a few instructions here. The Bible says, verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. So here it is, warn the disorderly. Warn the disorderly. This is a picture of a soldier who is not marching with the rest of the troops. That's literally how it would be translated. They're marching out of line. They're marching. They don't know how to keep a rank. Some of you have been in the army. They don't know how to keep a rank. And it's just kind of messing up everybody else. So, so, so he says, look, you need to warn one another. Then, then number two, encourage the discouraged. He says, comfort the faint-hearted. Literally, in, in, in old translations, they use the phrase little-souled. This is a person who just struggles with discouragement. And, and at, the idea of comforting there is to come alongside and to walk with them real close. You know what? That's why I'm thankful we have small groups and Sunday school classes and that in a church like this, you, you come along close with each other. So warn the disorderly, encourage the discouraged, and help the dependent. Help the dependent. It says uphold the weak. Uphold the weak. You have to help those who perhaps are struggling in their faith. Don't let them fall. Don't let them stay there. Don't leave the wounded behind. Go after them. And then finally, it you know, talks about here being patient. Being patient with everyone. The word patient means to hold out for a long time before really you know, taking action. Paul wants the Thessalonians to be long-suffering towards those in the church and even those who are outsiders, even if they're getting mistreatment. You see, folks, listen, we have to have patience with one another and, and refuse to retaliate. Refuse to retaliate. He says all, he says, he says, verse 15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. You know, I came across this little, it was actually on a psychological uh, counselor's uh, website for their, for, their, for their ministry. It was, this, it, was, it's, it, was a little, it was under their humor section. It's called the Psychiatric Hotline. Let, let, let me share this with you. It, to, I'm going to try to make a point here, all right? This is the idea. You call into the Psychiatric Hotline. It says this, if you're obsessive compulsive, press one repeatedly. If you are codependent, please ask someone to press number two for you. If you have multiple personalities, press three, four, five, and six. If you're paranoid, we know who you are and what you want. Stay on the line so we can trace your call. <laughs> if you're delusional, press seven and your call will be transferred to the mothership. Um, if you're schizophrenic, listen carefully in a small voice. We'll tell you which number to press. If you're a manic depressive, it doesn't matter which number you press. No one's going to answer it anyway. 
If you're dyslexic, press 9-6. You have to think about that or write it down to get it. If you have short-term memory loss, press 9. If you have short-term memory loss, press 9. If you have short-term memory loss, press 9. And if you have low self-esteem, please hang up. All our operators are too busy to talk to you. <laughs> Here's the point. Folks, listen. We all got issues, amen? We all got issues. We all got issues. That's why the Bible, over and over and over again, so much of the New Testament, have you ever noticed, is written to churches saying, bear with one another, forgive one another, love one another, pray for one another. Loved ones, don't forget, you have a sacred partnership. So family leadership, family partnership, and then finally, just remember, it's about family worship. It's about who we worship, family worship. He goes on and Paul closes the letter as if just, and this is kind of how I close the sermon today, just saying one thing after another. He gives them eight imperatives, eight commands, all right? He says in verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Hey, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't despise prophecies right there. Right there, he's talking about the scriptures, you know. Test all things, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He's saying, listen, listen. Remember who ultimately your relationship is with. Remember that as you come into different circumstances, remember this is how you respond. That right there, by the way, is a great little eight-point checklist for you to write down and keep in the front of your Bible or to put on an index in your car and just to review each day. That right there, eight, eight, eight commands from God's word itself reminding us how we're to go through this life. Because in the end, if we do that, if we do these eight things, you know what? That's the essence of worshiping the Lord. That's the essence of worshiping the Lord. William Temple, a late Archbishop of Canterbury, said this about worship. For to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open up the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. So be joyful in your outlook. Persist in your prayers. Be thankful in your attitude. Be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Oh, be obedient to the Scripture. Test everything for its truthfulness. Live godly lives. And finally, don't forsake the fellowship. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Grow together with one another. You know, I wonder... I wonder sometimes if we were to take our smartphones and to take a picture, to take a picture of our church family and we were to post it on Facebook for everyone to see. You know what I find so interesting? The most likes I get on Facebook, the most attention I get on Facebook are when I post pictures of my family. Folks love it. You know what? Our father loves it when he sees his family fellowshipping with one another, 
worshiping with one another, serving him. He loves to see the picture of us being brethren. Stand your feet. I'd like to pray for you. As you continue in your journey, heads bowed and eyes closed. It's been such a privilege to share God's word with you. But as this season of our walk transitions now, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, he's really the most important one that we need you to get to know. So if you're here today and you're, you're just not sure, you, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. During this song, you're invited to come forward and Pastor Andy will be down front and he's gonna be able to pray with you, talk with you and connect you with some of the leaders, leaders here, some folks that can minister to you, men and women who love the Lord and can encourage you in that. But maybe you just want to take a few moments and pray for your pastors. Maybe, maybe there's some... Some, something between you and another member. And today, you just, need to, you just need to give that to the Lord. Folks, we're family. We're family. And then finally, understand this. No one can be for you and me what only Jesus can be. The only way you can rejoice always is to really, really look to Jesus in all things. So Father... Help us to take these final instructions for the family to heart. Lord, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your love for us. God, what matters most of all is that we please you. And God, we would pray that as our Heavenly Father, you would look at us and you would say, they look an awful lot like brothers and sisters. The whole world, when they look at Mount Pleasant, can tell they're my family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing this. Pastor Andy's down front. Softly and tenderly, Jesus.